Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Akiba Leesman, the CEO of Mako Mining. They are the result of a merger between Marlin Gold and Golden Rain. Uh, some, may have, some may remember Marlin Gold as the unmitigated disaster financially and technically. But out of that spins Mako Mining and Sailfish Royalty, both of which Akiba is CEO for. We discuss how he manages to juggle both those roles. We also look at their business plan, which seems to be based on an upgraded 2015 PEA. Um, they have the backing of Wexford Capital, which means that they perhaps don't need to be as concerned with conventional studies as most would. Um, we talked to them about what the future looks like and how quickly they can get into mining and where, where they think the value is coming from going forward. Enjoy the podcast. Akiba, how are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a new story to me and the rest of the team. So I will ask if you could start with a one minute overview of the company and then we'll pick it up from there. Sure. Uh, so Mako Mining is doing what I like to consider to be three things in uh, northern Nicaragua. Uh, we're in the middle of building what will be, in our estimation, the highest grade open pit only mine uh, in the world. Uh, we're about 65% uh, building what will be a 500 ton per day facility. Uh, we have all the foundations to expand uh, production to 1,000 tons a day. So our, our next objective is to see if we can have enough resource to be mining that at a 1,000 ton a day rate by late 2022. And then thirdly, we do think that we're sitting on an orogenic gold mining camp. We haven't done much in the way of uh, a regional exploration, but once the mine turns on and we have some cash flow, uh, really our, our main objective uh, is to start exploring our, our now 200 square kilometer land package uh, when we have the financial capacity to do that. Okay, fantastic. Thanks very much. Um, we always start off by getting to know the management team. It's the first time we've spoken um, and heard the story from you. So can, can I ask about you? What, what's your background? You come from a financial background, obviously, um, but maybe kind of run down how you've kind of ended up where you are today. Right. So I'm, I'm actually a chemical engineer by training. Uh, after business school, uh, I worked for a project finance bank, a uh, South African one, but based uh, here in the United States. Then after that, uh, I was one of the, the first employees at uh, the Red Kite uh, Mine Finance Funds, which have now mm -hmm. split into to Red Kite and Orion. And then in 2011, uh, I left to take over the, uh, the precious metals portfolio of Wexford Capital, a, uh, a private equity and hedge fund group uh, based out of uh, Connecticut and, and now Florida. And then in 2012, so pretty soon after I started with Wexford, we, uh, we actually wanted to start creating our own portfolio companies. Uh, so we created a, a company called uh, Marlin Gold. Uh, in 2014, uh, we established an associated uh, royalty uh, platform called Sailfish, which is now a, a public company, which I, I also run. And then in 2014, we made an initial uh, royalty transaction with the predecessor of Mako, which threw a a long series of convoluted events led to the creation of what Mako is today at the tail end of 2018. Okay, fantastic. I mean, can you tell me a little bit about that that structuring that you did then? Because um, obviously, people will um, remember, you know, Mako's previous incarnation was two companies coming together. Can you like? What was your involvement with each of those, and why did those two companies come together to make Mako? Right. So uh, on the one side, it was Marlin, uh, which had a, a small-scale heap leach mine in uh, in southern Mexico, which by all accounts was a was a technical failure uh, in terms of what happened over at uh, La Trinidad 
Uh, we're in the process of selling the Mexican operations um, to another publicly traded company, and hopefully that will close sometime this calendar uh, year. So we've moved on from Mexico. Uh, in 2014, uh, when we did realize that we actually needed to uh, expand our, our asset base from the Mexican operations, um, we came across this company called Golden Rain Resources, uh, which had a nice uh, little little discovery uh, high grade uh, in northern Nicaragua. And uh, the management team and especially the, the directors of the, of the company um, had a way of approaching the project, which, which frankly made it too small. So they were adamant about not raising any equity capital to advance the project. Uh, and I was really the only one that raised my hand to have a royalty structure put on the property uh, in 2014. Uh, albeit on, on a small part of the, the land package, which effectively rendered the project potentially uneconomic, but certainly unfinanceable. Uh, so there was a period of about four and a half years uh, that Marlin and Golden Rain were, uh, I should say Marlin was trying to, uh, to negotiate a merger with, uh, with Golden Rain. And then finally, after about four and a half years, we had the management and, and, and the board accept a transaction, uh, which combined the two companies and allowed Sailfish to restructure that grossly encumbering royalty uh, into a moderate 3% NSR on the primary 500 ton per day project area and a 2% NSR uh, on the remaining of the, the land package as it existed uh, in 2018. Right, okay. So it, so La Trinidad is something that you currently own and you're trying to offload. Notice in the appendix section that you're trying yeah, we're, to offload. Yeah, we're about that. 95% done with uh, with reclamation on La Trinidad. We still technically own it and, and part of the, um, uh, the conditions precedent package uh, with the other public company, which is now called GR Silver. Uh, required us to do the full reclamation, which we actually wanted to do. We, we have an environmental responsibility in, in Mexico, and we wanted to make sure that that got offloaded with no uh, residual environmental liabilities uh, for our reputation as well as for the community in, in Mexico. Okay, so it has no no book value as such. N no book value, and there, there are certain uh, concession taxes uh, that come with it. So effectively, it has a negative value on our balance sheet. So that that negative value going to zero is actually going to be a positive for for Mako when that happens. Right. Um, but. Uh, but it should happen sometime this calendar year. Right, and 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 are there any sort of legacy management team from that still involved with the company today? I.e., are we learning lessons from what happened there? Yeah, look, the the the, the interesting part about um, how Golden Rain was managed is that they, they were actually very honest and, and and earnest people, and really good geologists too, which we've re retained uh, for uh, for our own at this point. Um, and. I would say even more interestingly, the the root cause of the problems over a Golden Rain were because the the former uh, directors of the company and I actually agreed <laughs> principally on what this project was worth. Um, I, I thought this was a, a billion dollar asset when we first got involved. So did they. Um, their approach to dealing with a billion dollar asset is because this was a billion dollar asset, therefore any equity that we raised would be extraordinarily uh, and potentially damagingly uh, dilutive. So therefore, we can't raise equity. And the natural approach is just to make the project smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until nothing was left, uh, especially after that royalty transaction uh, occurred in 2014. For me, I, I agreed with them. This is a billion dollar asset. But in order to get to a billion dollar asset, you have to execute on the three legs of the stool over here. 500 tons per day, expand to 1,000, and then eventually prove that this is a norogenic gold mining camp. And that does require capital to do. Okay, and the same with Marlin as well, with any sort of legacy uh, management? Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> right. so, um, so we, we initially backed, uh, backed Marlin 
um, based on, on a management team uh, that we worked with in the past. Um, and uh, in 2014, we were, we were certainly kind of getting some uh, negative feelings about that management team, uh, which is actually one of the, the reasons why we were looking for things like, uh, like the Golden Rain uh, royalty. Uh, we brought in our, our current uh, operating management team led by Jesse Munoz, uh, Mako's COO, uh, at the tail end of 2014. He and his family uh, used to run a, a full service engineering, procurement and construction management firm. And then in 2015, I was actually forced to, to fire the, uh, the former CEO of Marlin. And then I took over as interim CEO um, in, uh, in 2015 about a year after we did the original royalty stream. So the, the key operating, and then I also uh, uh, elevated Jesse uh, at that point in time over at Marlin to, um, uh, to interim chief operating officer. Uh, after that time, we merged with, uh, with Golden Rain. Uh, I, I actually uh, resigned or, or gave up my job as a CEO, and I was actually very, very happy about that uh, 2018, because uh, uh, I, I did have a, a day job as, uh, as an investor at a, at a private equity and hedge fund group. Uh, and then in uh, March of 2019, the uh, the former CEO of, uh, of then Mako uh, abruptly resigned. I took over initially as interim CEO in March of last calendar year, and then full time CEO in August. So I actually haven't been on the full time job over here for for what is that more than eight or nine months now. Right. Okay. The, the reason I'm asking these questions, obviously, you know, the, the market's got a, a long memory. Um, they look at what happened at Merlin wasn't particularly good. Uh, a lot of value destroyed um, there, and you know, just want to you know give you a chance to say, well, that this is something new. We're starting afresh in a way, even though you've kind of been involved in one way, shape, or another for the last five years. Sure. So, I mean, the no question on, on outcomes, right? So, 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 so yes, I'm like, yes, it was a, it was a technical and financial failure uh, over at La Trinidad. Um, Thought processes, though, about uh, how we decided to get involved in, in La Trinidad, albeit one from a, a much more naive um, perspective. So guess what? That, that happened in 2011, 2012. I, I actually am about nine years. I'm not sure if smarter is the right word, but certainly more, <laughs> more experienced. I had more, more gray hair, albeit, uh, albeit somewhat shorter than normal. Um, so the, the thing about La Trinidad is that it had a... Uh, a small scale, what we thought at the time, uh, relatively low capital intensity, uh, a project. Uh, it had um, better than average grades, where if, uh, if the technical plan uh, wound up working, it, it would be a relatively low operating cost uh, mine. And again, that was the, the plan back in 2012. But the reason why we got involved was that the, the land package, which was really uh, district scale, and one of the reasons why GR Silver is, uh, is attracted to this, uh, at one point, uh, Marlin and its predecessors controlled about 7% of the state of Sinaloa under, under mineral concessions uh, rights, over 300,000 hectares. And we thought we would be able to, uh, to leverage off that small-scale operation over at, uh, at the initial Taunus uh, heap leach as part of the La Trinidad property, and then use that to explore the broader land package, which, if you actually recall how I, I gave that one minute, uh, one minute elevator pitch, is, is really exactly what we're doing over at Mako. Is that you, you start small, be able to, to execute, uh, grow into something more substantive and, and more material in the context of global gold mining. But really, the big prize is to find out what these district scale land packages are involved. If this was just going to be that small scale project, we wouldn't have been, been involved at 
tonne slash La Trinidad, and we wouldn't have been involved at, at San Albino 500 tons per day proper. So the, the thought process is, um, is similar, but we are coming at this with, uh, with a lot more technical capacity than, than frankly we had back in 2011-12. Okay, so it wasn't a case of naivety, it was a case of, uh, well, maybe it was. It's, it's a long time ago, <laughs> I think, right? I think, I think there's a lot of naivety. Right, okay, so, so let, let's, talk, let's talk about today, because the, the, the thing that I, um, I'm, I'm hearing from when I'm watching some of the interviews that you've done is your fast, well, what do you do? You're, you're trying to accelerate the process of what you've got today as well. So I want to make sure that you know the learnings are there and you can justify why you can accelerate the time frame in which you can get this project going. So when when you tell just again for people new to this story, just remember that the process that you're about to follow is basically it's an updated 2015 PEA but you feel with the backing that your financial backing that you've got that that is the right way to approach getting accelerating the time frame which you get into production. So, okay. So let me let me let me start with this. Uh, I, I believe in forty three one on one. I think it's a really really good uh, regulation um, that uh, that keeps out really a lot of uh, fraud in the industry, and it's it's very helpful for for businesses to have uh, best practice uh, disclosure. Full stop. Right. Having said that, it is not the, the be all end all to, to building a, a mining project. What, what actually matters is the, is the data. And if we were going to be in a position that we had all the data that, that, uh, that we had necessary to develop this, uh, this project and had the, the opportunity and time to go and, and deliver feasibility studies to do that, great, we would. We, we, at some point, this company will be at that, uh, that level. But remember at the time of transition, back in uh when i took over as interim ceo in march we made promises to the the government of nicaragua we made promises to the local community we made uh previous management made promises to investors that this would be up and running at a certain period of time um they thought that the initial resource and and mine plan and engineering on the on the project was sufficient to build a mining project just because there was a a, a public pea uh out there that that was never going to fly. This was going to be another technical failure if, if, if this company went forward on that direction. The very first thing that the company did, uh, and, and actually this was even before I took over, so, so previous management agreed with this objective, was to completely redo the underlying uh, geological model from the ground up. And that was incorporating two successive uh, drill programs prior to 2019, to 2016 and 2018, into an updated model. We had that. We, we now have the, the ability to look at this on, on a structurally controlled basis. And we can make a, a plus or minus 30, 40, 50% kind of thumb in the air assessment that this project was going to be economic and, and uh, ready to go. So Wexford Capital backstopped a, a US $20 million rights offering that closed in, in July of last year. We, we implemented that rights offering a couple months later. But we were not going to be building the, the, the mine even on the back of that updated model. So we, we initiated a uh, initially uh, around a nine or 10,000 meter infill program, but that got expanded to about 25,000 meters um, that was complete maybe, maybe two weeks ago. Uh, we're going to have an updated resource uh, over in, uh, in, in Q3 of this year, probably, probably late August if I had to guess at a, at a date. 
And uh, that's going to be the backbones for our, uh, certainly from a public disclosure perspective, but even on how we're going to be uh, optimizing the mine plan. So we've, we've gone through a lot of iterations of this internally, and we, we fully support actually putting out the, the disclosure to, to the marketplace. But people do need to, to recognize, I, I literally took over as, uh, as, as full-time CEO of this, this company back in, in August of last year. There's a, a lot going on. And this was one of the, the 20 or 30 things that needed to happen before we can actually graduate to be a, a real mining company. But it is being worked on uh, as we speak. Okay, so no, I, I get the the fact that there's been an accelerated time frame since you've mm -hmm. been here, certainly in terms of share price. So I think you've got a lot of happy shareholders, okay? So all, all good. Um, but the you know convention. I know you're saying that this is unconventional. Or I think you would agree that this is an un unconventional approach. Convention is for in the funding world is I need to see the pre fees feasibility DFS and then we're ready to go. You feel that you can and and, and I think the other thing you're saying there is the PEA typically 30 40 percent discount to that plus or minus is is you know generally accepted as, as as the case but you feel because of what you you're seeing with the data that you do have and obviously this infill data is also um, helps give you paint the, paint the picture of what you have you think or more importantly Wexford who's you know backstopping this they feel that they can go forward on that basis and they're prepared to take that risk uh, clearly, so, so Wexford did, did did take that risk on 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 backstopping the the equity rights offering in in July. Um, and, and and even from Wexford, I, I think it's a, a fair critique of Wexford is, is that there, there certainly was um, pressure is not, not not the right word, but certainly a, um, a an urging of getting this uh, this up and running as, as quickly as possible. Um, for for a whole host of reasons, uh, I'm actually one of the, the best suited people in in the world to navigate between. The junior mining market and Wexford as a controlling shareholder, just because I used to work for Wexford, so I kind of kind of know how they they think. Um, and really, it's 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 my job to kind of navigate through those uh, the, those different pressures. So certainly, there, were, there was pressure from Wexford to get this up and running, just because. Well, well, I, I bet. So Wexford were also a previous owner um, of Merlin. They were they were involved with Merlin. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So so given that you are the best person in the world to you know liaise between the two, and you understand Wexford because you work there, is do you feel some of that that pressure to get this thing up and running comes from the fact that they're still trying to deal with the losses on Merlin. So are they making you know, decisions based on you know, historic, historical uh, reasons rather than what they see in front of them today? Yeah, Wexford, and, and I would put myself in that, in that category as well, are, are very good uh, mark-to-market people. So whatever losses or, or, or financial failures or results that came out of Trinidad was taken care of when those those failures and financial losses occurred. So it really has no, has no bearing on uh, on the decisions over at um, at Mako. Um, certainly, Wexford's involvement with with really all three companies, which was uh, on the Marlin side, the Sailfish side, and, and Golden Rain, obviously played a factor in, into how the how the merger was uh, was was transacted on in, in 2018. But going back to, to what I was saying is that there, there are certain things that, that needed to happen irrespective of the pressures that we were feeling from, from Wexford or the local community or the Nicaraguan government that we needed to do before we're, we're actually ready to, to mine what is a, a, a fairly uh, technically, 
involved, I don't even want to use the word risky, but certainly a technically involved way of mining the, these very high grade narrow vein uh, uh, structures that we have over at uh, over at San Albino. There's a, there's a lot of work that needed to happen uh, in 2019. And I'll be the first to, to say is that in, in terms of uh, where we're going to be at, at full on de-risking this project, there's still going to be uh, quite a, a bit of room before this would be treated as as feasibility study level. But I made this comment before, is that you, you, you can't make the, the comment about what risks you're taking on without, without taking into account price and time, right? So a, a lot of these decisions were influenced with, with the fact that, that Mako was trading at, at a much lower valuation back when these, these capital decisions were, were made. If, if I'm trading at, at five cents on the dollar, which I thought we were trading on uh, back then, for me to spend four, five, six million dollars uh, to 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 wait a couple of years and, and go through uh, things that that would actually have good de-risking information, I better be in a position where I'm hundreds of millions of dollars better off uh, by taking that call. Those decision processes change based on on Mako's valuation. We we have no issues of providing um, disclosure, albeit we we need time to do that. Um, but those decisions processes do, do change based on the valuation of our stock. Do you, but do you think that you're making those decisions based, you, you talk about, you know, time and price, quite right. Mm -hmm. And if you're a geologist, you talk about, you know, the underground risk and so forth. So where you're coming from is influencing the way that you go about making decisions. You're going to be, in this case, I, I suspect more... Um, you're going to be less risk averse than a geologist, clearly, because you're thinking, I've got to drive that share price, I've got to drive that market cap, I've got to create value for shareholders, whereas a geologist might be slightly more cautious about the, the, the way forward. But you're saying the, the, the variance there is acceptable to you, so you're prepared to make that decision. Yeah, so, by the way, I, I hate losses. Like, I, 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 I actually even, I, I hate selling in investments and uh, and not capturing full gains as well. Like uh, I have I have nightmares about it. I wake up in cold sweat when when I have a, a position that's going uh, against me. That that's that's my nature. So so don't get me wrong. I don't take uh, I don't take silly risks over here. Um, but I I do have enough experience in in the financial markets to make um, to make investment decisions uh, and take uh, appropriate pricing of risk. And I do implement that way of thinking into the way that Mako is being run. I think that is definitely a fair way of describing it. Okay, let's move on to the project. Tell, tell, tell us uh, this accelerated time frame that you're, you're working to. Um, what's the time frame look like? What are you actually going to be doing? I, I get I get the infill stuff. Some great numbers coming out of the ground there. But at the end of the day, you're you're chasing high grade vein systems, right? So you, you have alluded to it's complex. It always is. So what are you going to be putting in place to ensure that you can capture the most value possible? Right. So it's, it's really projects uh, one and two that, that are, are, are moving forward right now. The, the regional stuff will really have to wait until, until next year. So project number one is, is building the, the 500 ton per day facility. So 95% um, of the engineering is complete with that. It's really on, on the back end of some of some water treatment areas that we need to, to finish off in the next month. Um, and we're about 65% done uh, getting built on the overall uh, project. Now, geologically speaking on the 500 ton per day uh, mine, um, there's uh, four, uh, potentially five, uh, relatively narrow vein structures. Um, uh, most of them are being modeled as a very high grade uh, 
quartz uh, vein uh, within a, a slightly larger uh, hanging wall and foot wall structure. Uh, of the four veins, uh, the, the easiest to model and, uh, and, and widest and, and most continuous is the San Albino vein. It's the, the, the second closest to, uh, to, to surface. And, um, and that one on average is probably, uh, call it two and a half to three meters wide. So relatively narrow, we're, we're, we're mining six meter benches, but, but taking it down to, to three meter half benches. And we're doing very, very selective mining uh, where we do think that we can mine this to, to sub half meter uh, tolerances when all is said and done to keep dilution uh, down to, uh, to a minimum, uh, hopefully more than 15, per, hopefully less than 15%, than, but, but hopefully less than, than 10 uh, when, when all is said and done. Uh, the other veins are, are sometimes equally as high grade as, as San Albino, but, uh, but some of them are, are narrower and then we'll have to deal with that and probably take on more dilution for some of the other veins. We've made a discovery to the south as well uh, over at Las Conchitas and there the, the grades seem to be somewhat higher uh, and then the structures somewhere on the average of the four veins that we're mining up north over at San Albino. So it, it really does look, there are, are some differences uh, geochemically between the two, but it really does look like similar stuff to what we have over at Less confused as to what we have over at the San Albino project proper. Okay, so and so what do you actually know today? Because obviously, I know you've done a lot of drilling recently. So, what do you know about the the the, the grades, the continuation of those grades, the thicknesses, the mineralogy, you know, going out? Because you know, grades is one thing, but you also need a lot of it. So, what do you know? Right. So, um, so I used to be a lot more open uh, with where I, I thought that the data was going to, to be, uh, principally because it was really based on our own internal data. We we hired an outside group, uh, MDA, uh, mm -hmm. two weeks ago. So they're going to do their own modeling um, and, and people feel free to look at what I've said in the, in the past. I'm not retracting anything that, that I said, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to be commenting on, on specific numbers until until they, uh, the report comes out in, uh, in late August, early September. Um, what we do know is that uh, that PEA uh, was modeling a resource on the open pit uh, that was grading on average of about seven grams a ton. Um, based on the updated modeling on, on how this was being approached, um, the, uh, the structures are are much more uh, structurally controlled than what was being modeled before. Um, and it, it doesn't take a, a rocket science scientist to, to assume that the, the tonnage is going down and the grades are going up. So, but use seven grams as kind of like the, the reference point. And then we're pretty comfortable that that number will be substantially higher than that. Okay, I guess we'll wait and see on that front. Okay, um, so if this doesn't work out, do you, do you go running back to Wexford? Are they welcome you with open arms? <laughs> right. Um, so it depends what not, not not working out means. If this project fails, then I don't I don't think Wexford would would, would have me. Um, that that's different than having like um, like certain operational hiccups, right? So when six seven weeks ago, we we uh, maybe even more than that now. I'm sorry to lose track of time. Uh, we put out a, a press release that um, that we were initially expecting first gold pour to happen uh, late summer uh, this year. Uh, we took down our first poor date uh, to, to Q4. We, we took down our, uh, eliminated almost all non-local contractors. We pulled all our expats out of the country because Nicaragua uh, was starting to see the, the first effects of, of the pandemic. And then our suppliers also started to get backed up with uh, just the, the really stressed uh, global supply chain right now. So it's no question that, that we're operating on uh, a, a three month minimum uh, delay to, to the project than what was being even thought about in early February, just to, to, to show you how recent some of these uh, these uh, these events have, have transpired. In situations like that, Wexford is is there. Nobody likes uh, delays and, and overruns, but Wexford is there to make sure that the project is, is completed. 
So that, that to me, I don't think is a, um, uh, is, is a failure that mining is risky. And, and certainly we, we had a lot, a lot of risks in 2020. Um, if this project is a technical failure, I'm pretty sure I'd be out of a job at both Mako and Wexford. <laughs> they, they, they don't really tolerate failures, uh, failures like that. Right. I'm just trying to establish the relationship between you, between you guys, because obviously you were there for a long time. You know, they had the issues of Mar Marlin. They've therefore ended up with a large position today, which in terms of you know trading liquidity, it doesn't seem to have affected you. You're you're well traded. It's not not a bad position. So they're not affecting your ability as CEO with with your your CEO hat on to do what you need to do. You're very promotional as well as being very financially literate. Um, so they they don't they don't uh, hold you back in terms of how you run the company because you're still effectively a Wexford guy. You're totally independent. Yeah, I mean, actually, just not, I mean, technically uh, speaking, so um, uh, so I'm still technically a consultant to Wexford. I, I don't draw a, a salary uh, uh, from them. Um, I I was paid uh, for things completely unrelated to to, to Mako earlier in this year, and, and my guess is that going, that's going to be the last cash payment that that I'll, I'll be getting from Wexford. Because actually, when I when I took over as, as full time CEO of the company, I, I did uh, did let everybody know is that this is actually going to be a full time job. But I gave myself a year to to make sure that uh, that all uh, all formal ties uh, with Wexford are, are going to be seized. Now, uh, given that that there's a difference between cutting formal ties and then dealing with a 56% shareholder, so I, I don't even care if I didn't have a background over at Wexford. Is that they're they're going to be uh, part and parcel to to decision making um, capabilities over here. But I think I think most people that uh, that that recognize how I, I run companies, we're certainly not going to do anything that will piss off our 56% shareholder. But we, uh, we we do run this this company pretty independently, and, and we're making decisions really uh, for, for the benefit of, of Mako shareholders as, as the whole, of which Wexford is, is, is the majority of that. Okay. How much time do you spend on um, Sailfish Royalty then? So the Sailfish... Uh, is, a, is a royalty company. Um, I have made a, a, a tactical decision uh, to be quiet uh, with Sailfish when Mako is going through its project uh, build out. Um, for the, the main reason is that I wanted to make sure that uh, that Mako worked. Uh, if I was going to be, lack of a better word, promoting two companies at, uh, at the same time, it would be diluting some of the message coming from from Mako if I was focused over at Sailfish. And the reason why I, I, I and, and people can criticize this, I, I think there's plenty of, of criticism uh, in, in terms of what I'm saying, but, uh, but uh, at least from for me personally, the decision process was coming from the right place. Um, Sailfish has benefited from that because once Mako gets up and running, it's going to be that 3% or 2% royalty that will be the primary significant form of cash flow to Sailfish. Uh, once the project in our, our minds over at Mako is um, is fully de-risked, then we will be more vocal on how we're going to be dealing with uh, with Sailfish. Uh, I do think in the in the long term, uh, you do need to have uh, separate management teams and and, and focus on on both. Um, I don't think necessarily that's going to happen this this calendar year, but I don't have any any major objections to doing that. Now, in terms of actual time, it, it's it's a royalty business. It's not not that difficult to to, to run a royalty company, especially when you're you're quiet on this. So, uh, it 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 really is less than ten percent of my time at this point. Although that number may be increasing. Okay, 
Okay, so it, it, can I just say, so Sailfish Royalty is a, what, a, a single royalty in the shape of Mako, no. or it's got more business? What do you actually do in the, with the tenants? I, I am CEO. I, I am CEO of uh, right. Sailfish Royalty. Um, it has. Uh, it was. It was created uh, initially through that encumbering stream on San Albino that got restructured to a three percent on the project, two percent everywhere else. Um, it's. Uh, it has a producing royalty on on a small mine that's uh, that's operated by Endeavor Silver. Uh, we have a, a royalty on, uh, on El Dorado's uh, Tocantinsinho mine in Brazil. And then we also have a 3% unencumbered royalty on uh, a private equity firm's uh, Spring Valley uh, project, which at, at one point had a, a 5 million ounce resource heap leachable uh, in Nevada. Uh, so that private equity fund is, is advancing it and we will have a, a 3% unencumbered royalty on, or we do have a 3% royalty, uh, unencumbered royalty on that project. Uh, there's also a, uh, a silver exploration asset uh, tied up within Sailfish that at some point will be uh, spun off to shareholders over the, the course of the next year or two. Okay, sounds like things are going well there. Yeah, and, and there, it is an affiliated company. I, the, the primary objective of Sailfish is to start receiving cash flows from that 3% royalty over at, at Mako, and we're focused on Mako to make sure that the mine gets built so right. in part Sailfish can be benefited from that. So you'll have to ramp up your, the amount of time you spend there eventually because that business sounds like it's going places. True, or or even even I, I have no objections to uh, to to merging with a larger royalty company or even bringing in uh, new dedicated management so that they can focus on. It. Cool. And let's get back to uh, Mako. That's, that's what we're here to talk about. So, with regards to Wexford, they have backstopped twenty-seven million bucks. They've also uh, given an unsecured fifteen million bucks as well facility. So. It, <laughs> Are you, you going to need more capital uh, soon? When? What for? And you know, what's Wexford's view on that? Is that are they going are, are they going to be the ones coming up with the cash? Yeah, so, so first of all, twenty seven Canadian and fifteen US. Yep. So uh, keep, keeping the currency the same. Sorry. About, yes. Uh, Let's do yeah. that. Right. Good point. About uh, uh, about thirty in aggregate, and, and of that twenty equity, Wexford took about seventy two percent of that rights offering. Um, the, the, the way that I like to describe the, and, and actually when we did the, the rights offering, we said that there wasn't going to be a, a, enough money. That was going to be the majority of the capital yep. that, that we needed. So it was fairly well telegraphed that, that we were going to need additional capital. When we took that, um, that unsecured uh, $15 million loan, which has is, is now been fully uh, drawn down as of a, as a couple of weeks ago. Um, we, we mentioned to the, the public that that was going to be a breath holding belt tightening amount to get our project up and running for a late summer first gold pour date. <laughs> so given the fact that 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 hey that that first gold pour date is clearly at least three months delayed because of, of the craziness that is 2020, um, as well as uh, as just general uh, mucking up the global supply chains, there's going to be uh, at the very least a, uh, a, a small-ish and, and we'll, we'll communicate exactly what that, that amount is uh, requirement uh, for for capital to, to to finish the project. Whether that's in the, in the form of an expanded loan by by Wexford, that's a discussion that we can have. Whether it's in, in the form of, uh, of of equity, uh, that's a discussion that we can have with the market as well. Okay. Do you think you're overpromoted in a way? Do you think you're overpriced? You've had a good couple of years, right? You've done a fantastic okay. couple of years, but you're, you're sitting with a market cap, you know, equivalent to some companies who are producing nearly a hundred thousand bucks a year, or it's hundred thousand ounces a year. So. Do you think there's a you're setting yourself up for a fall? Right. So unlike Elon Musk, uh, a CEO of a company should never say that their stock is is overvalued. So so first off, the the interesting thing about this is that um, my 
my views of valuation on Mako actually haven't changed at all uh, from where where that rights offering was priced over at uh, Canadian ten cents a share. And by the way, I, I wasn't actually quiet <laughs> around that time in terms of, of what I, what I actually thought Mako. Uh, was going to to do so. Fortunately, uh, for for some, not everybody was was listening to me. So even though I was I was loud, the uh, the people who were actually putting their ears up back last July were were limited. But those that did listen to me, I, I think would, would fully acknowledge where I actually thought this the stock was going. Um, more broadly speaking, this will not work as uh, as an investment uh, in terms of how this was underwritten, unless all three objectives are complete. So, uh, and that's building the 500 ton per day mine, um, getting enough data and eventually be, be mining this at uh, 1,000 tons a day, hopefully by late 2022, and then eventually proving that this is an orogenic gold mining camp where there's plenty of global analogs around the world where this can contain tens of millions of ounces, which we have done very little work on for, for, for level number three. Um, if we're unable to execute on any one of those, where I thought the stock was going is going to be less, right? Um, I do think that back at the time of the rights offering, uh, nothing was getting priced in. I do think now, because the stock has gone up nearly nearly 400% since the, uh, since the rights offering, uh, I do think that uh, at the very least that that first project is being, uh, being priced in. And then it's really for our, our objective is to make sure that we execute on, on projects two and, and three to make sure uh, that the stock is, is still moving. But in terms of where my, my long-term objective, I already put out that number US $1 billion. Um, how we get there in terms of capital structure is still a, an open question mark, but, uh, but I, I, haven't, I haven't moved back on my, my views of the, uh, the project valuation, even back when we were trading at 30 or 40 million bucks in market cap. Okay, we shall see. Best laid plans of mice and men, I guess. So let's, let's move on to um, something else, which is, uh, again, for this audience, we're this side of the pond. Uh, South America, generally, bit of a mystery. Nicaragua, particularly. Um, you know, obviously, we've got elections coming up. Um, it's being affected by COVID. Lo lots, of, lots of things happening there at the moment. So why should people not worry about mining in Nicaragua? They, they, they should like, you'd be worried about mining anywhere. I mean, this is not a, not, a, not a perfect, ideal environment to be uh, mining or building a project anywhere around the world. Um, Nicaragua specifically, I think people uh, conflate risks uh, with the country. Um, there was uh, uh, there was a political unrest in, in 2018 that got put down pretty pretty violently by the, the government. Uh, so there, there certainly was uh, was risk associated with that. Uh, the way that I like to describe just the the political situation is that the the riskiest thing about Nicaragua is just that it's so small. Is that so very very small events inclusive of what happened in 2018 can really have dramatic changes to the political backdrop for a company that uh, for a country that has a 15 or 16 billion dollar uh, GDP. Um, the it's just a fact of the matter the, 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 when their tourism industry went down in 2018, 2019, they were uh, it became actually easier to, to, to develop uh, mining projects in, in the country like any time that we needed to have a uh, a minor permanent amended amendment, uh, we, we can get it. Dealing with a small country like Nicaragua, you do have access to um, to the upper echelons of, of the government. So it became easy in that regard. Now in 2020, it's uh, it's a little bit of a different situation. Now now tourism in Nicaragua is, is ground to, to zero because of, uh, of the pandemic. 
Um, Nicaragua does look like it, it has a pretty well-seated uh, community spread uh, in the country right now. Um, we're, we're doing the, the best we can to, to, to manage it, but there's certainly certainly risk uh, in, in operating in, in, in Nicaragua specifically. Uh, commercial flights have, have been stopped. Um, normally we have, as part of Jesse and his crew, we, we normally have 10 or 11 uh, supervisory people kind of getting in and out of country to, to help out our, our local employees and contractors. We've only been able to get two in. Um, we're, we can't even get private charters uh, into into the country in, in, in that regard. So there's, there's a lot of very specific challenges that uh, that that everybody in the mining industry is, is facing, and then some some elevated ones in, in Nicaragua. Right. Well, I, look, I, I hope, hope that resolves itself because you need to get back to work, right? So, what are you doing in the meantime? What's, what 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 are the things that you are able to do? Is it all desk work? I <laughs> mean, personally, right? So. Um, well, so, the, so, the company, so, yeah. not just you, every, everyone. I mean, are people able to work right now? Yeah, no, we, we've actually increased our, our employee and contractor and, and, um, and, uh, and temporary employee staffing. So we were at about 408, went down to 244 immediately after uh, peak panic. Uh, and then we're actually above 400 right now, right? So we're almost back to the, the same level of, although it's a, a much different mix of, of employees and contractors than, than we're there in, uh, uh, in, uh, in late February, early March. So we're, we're back to almost uh, full staffing. There, there are strict uh, quarantine provisions at the uh, uh, at, at the mine, right? So um, we're about five hours away from Nagua, where it looks like that that's where the, the main hotspot of, uh, of COVID uh, spread is right now. Um, so the the only known uh, COVID infection that we've had within the, the, the Mako base has, has been me. So I actually caught it uh, about uh, about six, seven weeks ago. <laughs> Luckily, it was it was minor. Appreciate everybody's kind words. It really was, uh, was, was, I heard. was not much of it. I heard. I heard. Uh, and then, um, but we, we are starting to to, to hear uh, second degree stuff. So, a, an employee of our, uh, not an employee, a, an executive of our of our, of our contracting firm um, that has not been associated with our, our project uh, looks looks like he, he may have passed away from from COVID. We we have a, a family member, one of our. Our employees uh, has passed away as well, so it, it's very real uh, in this country. It needs to be managed, but right now our our, our staffing level is is, is up to, to to full. We're trying to take as many precautions as, as possible, um, but it's not like the virus is uh, is going to go away. We just have to do the best we can, be as safe as we possibly can, and if something happens in the mine, to to mitigate it as as best we can. Well, I'm sorry, sorry to hear that if, um, for for those people and those, those families. Um, it is affecting a lot of people in a lot of ways. So uh, I guess one last question is, so the date for you actually, because there's a lot of work happening above the ground at the moment. You're, there's, I see pictures of, of, of trucks and people and there's things being built and cement being poured and it's, so it's very eventful above ground. Um, you've got to get underground and start working out how you do this economically right so that that's the big that's the big moment for you so when when does all of that sort of more meaningful stuff happen underground right so all, all of the work geologically uh, that we've done through the infill program was associated with the the open pit uh, portion of sure, it. So sure. the PA did have a combination of, of an open pit uh and an underground uh, scenario my guess is that we're, we're going to try to push the open pit uh, as, as much as we can to avoid making that decision to go underground as, as long as possible, although we won't discount doing that. No, so I, I, I was meaning the below, below surface, open pit. Right. So in, thing, terms yeah, of, in terms of mining, mining. Um, yeah. 
we've moved uh, a few hundred thousand tons of material. 99% of that has been been waste. Um, so part of that is because we, we need waste uh, material for, for our, our dry stack tailing storage facility. So that, that was by design mm -hmm. for engineering purposes. And then we've exposed the high grade uh, vein, but our, our lab is only just starting to have the capacity to process uh, fire assays. And it's at least five or six weeks away from being certified to, to run um, uh, actual uh, production-based uh, fire assays to our, uh, our satisfaction. So we're not gonna be mining a, a lot of the, the high grade until our, our lab is, is functional, albeit we're, the lab is essentially 99% done as a, as a unit, the equipment up and running, and now it's just a question about training and, and certifying. And as soon as that happens, we're, we're kind of mining, mining uh, mineralized material. Remember, we're PEA, so this is not, not the, the ORE word, but mineralized material. Right, okay. Well, fantastic. Um, thank you so much. Great summary. Loved it. We should, uh, we should stay in touch because obviously things seem to be moving deliberately fast uh, and uh, there should be lots more news flow. So do stay in touch, pick up the phone, let us know what's going on. All right, great. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.